On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast, Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zamprin today. When we hear that Canada has refilled all the lost jobs that were gone through COVID, where are those jobs? What kind of jobs are they? Some very interesting new numbers out about where those jobs are. We'll talk about that one. Greedflation is a word we're hearing about. Is it real in the grocery industry, in the food industry? Are we being gouged? Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, will go into that one with us. We're going to chat about HSR rate hikes today and service advances. John Paul Danko, counselor, will join us for that. Those school photos you take of your kids on the first day of school holding the sign with all the information, you may want to think twice about that. We're going to hear from the police why that may not be the best idea ever. Ribfest starts this week. Mmm, Ribfest. Mm. And Dylan Wynn from the Hamilton Ticats speaking about food. No, that's not an oxymoron. That's not a miss. He's going to be here talking about food, and we'll tell you why. Stick around. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We hear all the time from governments about job growth. I mean, this is something they love to trumpet. Any government would. Why wouldn't you talk about how their policies are leading to more job growth? Jobs are coming back. We're putting people to work. More money in your pocket. All those things. They are all... Every government does it of every political stripe. We know that. But we have just come out of COVID and the jobs as we know. We know what happened to the workforce. There were a lot of businesses that couldn't open. Small businesses were hammered uh, on and on and on. So as jobs have come back, where have they come back? Because we've heard they have. What has happened to the workforce? Where are the successes? Well, I want to bring in Ben Eisen. He's a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. Uh, He and a colleague have just been looking at this to find out how the jobs in this country have returned. Ben, how are you this morning? Very well. How are you today? I am excellent, thanks. Uh, Thanks for doing this. So we've heard that many of the jobs have come back from pre-COVID time. But does the workforce look exactly the same then? Does that mean that the jobs have come back in the same way that they left? Uh, no, it, it certainly doesn't. And, and that's what we look at in today's study. We compared uh, the rate of job growth. because we, we frequently hear uh, that there's been a very robust job recovery uh, in Canada. But the, the data uh, shows that it's a more complicated story than that. Uh, actually, uh, all of the job growth pretty much in Canada uh, that we've seen since the pandemic has been in the government sector. Uh, very little of it has been driven by the private sector, and once you factor in uh, self-employed people, it's almost nothing uh, in the private sector since the pandemic began. So to the extent that we've seen uh, job creation in Canada, to the extent to which we have, uh, we can call this a robust labor c- recovery, uh, it really has been driven more by public sector hiring than any organic private sector growth, um, and that's what we looked at in today's study. Is that a problem, or does it matter? As long as jobs are jobs, who cares? Well, it it does matter because uh, ultimately the government sector is financed uh, by the activity in the private sector and the underlying uh, and underlying economic activity there. Uh, governments uh, can hire that that's uh, as long as they have either money to print or borrow or collect. Uh, that's something that the governments have the option to do, and it's simply a mad- matter uh, of doing it. Uh, it's much more complicated uh, whether or not the underlying economic conditions exist for sustainable long-term recovery. Uh, and over the long term, governments can't simply uh, hire more and more people. You need to have growth uh, in the private sector as well. So it's really the real challenge, the real problem that we see uh, is that there hasn't been very strong private sector uh, employment growth. 
and it hasn't even kept up with population growth. So if we look at uh, the employment rate, we see that it's actually below where it was at the start of the pandemic. So uh, the question is whether it's sustainable, and the answer is really in the long term it's not. You have to have uh, job growth in the private sector as well. You just said, though, governments can't continue to hire more and more and more people into the private sector, uh, maybe, but what government has ever seemed to believe that? It, that, that doesn't seem to be a, a, a something that almost any government believes, less than a, let alone the one that's in now, but it, that's, it's, that's not the only one. This is this Government growth happens constantly. Well, that's a great point, and we've seen that happen in the past, the government grow and grow and grow, and it's happened until a crisis has emerged. Uh, that's what happened in the 1990s when after a very long period of, of government sector growth uh, being significantly more uh, than private sector growth, eventually the government uh, ran into debt crises and had to uh, take, take major steps to uh, address it and significantly reduce the size of government. Uh, we're, not, we're not knocking on the door of that or anything like that at this juncture, but it's an instructive lesson because you're right. Uh, it can't go on forever, and if it does go on uh, for a very long time, uh, you can run into very serious problems and have to make sudden, very difficult adjustments. Uh, so that hopefully uh, what we can do is we can recognize these trends, as you say, recognize uh, when they're taking place over a long term so that we can make adjustments and change policy before we reach that point, because you're certainly right. Uh, there's often a tendency by governments uh, to not do anything about this sort of uh, trend and direction uh, until they're kind of forced to by a crisis, and then it's well, not done. In, uh, and Ben, in even then... Ben, even then, um, once a once a government program is in place, the one thing we learn is if you then try to cut it, people die. At least that's the that's the, the what everyone screams and yells. You, any government program that is put into place, if you then try to cut it, we will hear from the critics. Well, people are going to die, and so it's almost like once it's in place, you can't undo it. And so it becomes very difficult for any government to come into power of any stripe, even if they promise to do this and then start whittling back on programs. It's almost like it's locked in in perpetuity. It can be extremely difficult, and you're quite right. Uh, politics can make it hard, and political rhetoric surrounding uh, government's activities can make it hard. But we do we do have a history of governments uh, occasionally, when they're under pressure to do so, uh, making changes in the trajectory of government spending, and often that have changed direction. Often, uh, so returning to what we saw in the 1990s, often it starts... Uh, with relatively low-hanging fruit like corporate subsidies and things of that nature, uh, reining back uh, the growth of public sector uh, public sector employment and public sector wage growth, uh, which, which is already comes at a significant premium relative to the private sector. Uh, but you're certainly right. Um, once programs are in place, once money's being spent, uh, there's a constituency for it, both within and outside government, and it becomes much harder uh, to address. I agree with you completely. Your numbers fine, and this is looking at the government numbers, well, uh, job numbers. Uh, roughly 87% of the job growth has been in public sector, has been in government. But the other number that, uh, as I'm reading these numbers, that's kind of shocking, and you mentioned it a second ago, self-employed people, 214,000 fewer self-employed people since COVID. That's a, Those are the small businesses, right? Those are the ones we always hear governments and politicians say, well, small business run this country and fund and propel this country. Those are people who aren't working in self-business anymore. Absolutely. It's been a substantial grow, uh, drop, and it's almost entirely offset all of the job creation that has happened in the private sector. We can see a little bit of job growth in the private sector if we exclude the self-employed, uh, but then if we include them, we see that it comes down uh, next to nothing. And so as a result, you, as you said, uh, the amount of net job creation has been about uh, 87% of it has taken place 
in the gov- in the government sector, which only represents a little bit more than twenty percent of the economy. So we have this one chunk of the economy in the government sector that's increased significantly by about ten percent um, over this period. You got this little bit of job growth in the private sector of two point two percent, and then that's offset by a seven point five percent in self employment, uh, which nets out to almost nothing. So yeah, almost all the job creation in the government sector despite being only about 20% of all jobs, a little bit more than that. Uh, and it's obviously, as we've been discussing, not a long-term solution. You need dynamism uh, in the private sector and self-employment, and we just haven't seen that despite our rhetoric to the contrary. It is, uh, it, it is concerning, and it, is, uh, it, and it does say something, I think, about values in the country where we just continue to build and build and build and build more government. Um, you know, some will say this is fantastic, and some will say this is out of control. Uh, ben Eisen from Fraser Institute, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, we lost Ben. All right. Well, thank you, Ben. Anyway, you're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You certainly have noticed that the price of things at grocery stores has gone up, that bringing home the food for the family is a more costly endeavor today than it was prior to the pandemic. We know that inflation has hit Canada, it's hit all parts of the world. Food inflation, a big, big deal. Meat, have you tried to buy meat lately? You might just want to buy a gold bar instead of a steak. It is, it is expensive. The question though is, and a lot of people are asking, are the prices that we're seeing at the grocery stores really entirely the result of inflation or are those stores taking advantage of this moment and hiking their prices more than they need to, to increase profits. Is it, are they taking part in what people are calling greedflation? I want to bring in Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. He's a regular here on the station. He is a food professor, professor of food distribution and policy, and the director of the Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Doctor, thank you for the time today. Well, good morning. Well, so are we all just suckers being gouged for every dime that we're paying at the grocery store because they're all evil, giant corporations just taking everything they can get from us? <laughs> well, you're pretty direct this morning. Uh, I would <laughs> it's say early. We, we don't know for sure, uh, but we, uh, we actually did look at one part of the food industry, which is very easy to analyze. It's is the grocery business. Uh, most companies are publicly traded, so it's easy to get in, to dive into financial statements the last five years and look at patterns, uh, look at whether or not there are actually are profits are actually going up. Uh, and, uh, and frankly, we, we couldn't find anything. We actually looked at, uh, at uh, Empire, Sobeys, Loblaws, and Metro. All three of them are publicly traded. We looked at the last five years. We looked at profitability. Uh, ratios, uh, gross margins, everything, and we we couldn't find any inconsistencies uh, in the last few years. <laughs> That's one thing. The other thing that we've uh, came up with is, well, maybe uh, because we do have an oligopoly in Canada, the grocers are do take advantage of the situation. Well, so we actually look at the U.S., uh, the top nine grocers in the U.S., all publicly traded. And again, same conclusion. Uh, gross margins uh, are anywhere between 2 to 4% consistently the last five years. So there's no evidence of, of greedflation, at least the public data, data that is available to all of us, uh, uh, do suggest that there's no, there's no abuse. But it doesn't mean that greedflation doesn't exist either. 
it may actually exist up the food chain. Uh, about a month ago, the Vice President of Communications for Loblaws uh, sent an email. That she was asked about this by Global News and sent an email about greedflation and said, we make less than four cents on every dollar we sell. This was true before inflation and has not changed for many years. So what you're saying is what they're saying is that we're allowed to make a profit. It's adjusted for what we're dealing with inflation or across the board, but we're not doing anything more than any other company is doing just to keep up. That's right. So I, I would say that uh, what was claimed by Loblaw is actually accurate. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people listening to us would want us to say, you know what, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're being gouged. <laughs> and, and frankly, as a consumer myself, I, I, I've always, I feel that, my goodness, uh, things are out of control at the grocery store. But, I mean, and, and as consumers, we do have a relationship with grocers, but the food industry is a complicated place. There are lots of actors, lots of players beyond grocers. So grocers, the cost of food sold to us has gone up as well, which is why some people may feel that they're being gouged, but really. But they are, we do have suspicions in, in with certain verticals, like beef, for example, uh, beef prices have behaved really erratically, so we do have questions there. Uh, salmon is another one. Um, so there, there are verticals where, hmm, something is up, but we just, a lot of companies are privately owned, so it's always difficult to get to the numbers. Well, and we have a very interesting situation, and you and I and you and other hosts have talked about this over the years. We have a very interesting situation also in this country with dairy, which can lead to prices of milk and cheese and yogurt and all the, and butter and all those kind of things behaving differently than you might see in other countries. Exactly. Well, if you want to talk about greedflation, I certainly would actually point at dairy. Uh, as of this morning, uh, dairy farmers are getting 2.5%, but there was a leaked document a few years ago, a few weeks ago, uh, which suggested that, uh, that the cost of produced milk has actually gone down, not up which is why this second increase on September 1st today is, uh, is somewhat unjustified. And, and uh, if you call the Canadian Dairy Commission, they will tell you, well, we actually factored in inflation to increase prices. Well, if you actually use inflation as an excuse to increase dairy prices, that's greedflation right there. And uh, we're already dealing with a record-breaking increase which happened in February, which is why butter in Ontario, butter is up 21% year to year. Yogurt is up 15%. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners have noticed that the dairy section of the grocery store is way more expensive. So I do question how decisions are made to raise dairy prices in Canada because it's a highly regulated sector. And we're short on time, but do, doesn't this just mean, though, doesn't the system work that when they do this, if they are taking advantage, that people will just say, we're not going to buy it, and it's going to hurt them more than it's almost going to help? Well, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, dairy is basically pricing itself out of the market, so people will actually go towards alternatives, which are now cheaper, and we could see more dairy farms disappear in this country. Uh, now, dairy farmers will never lose money. If there's too many farms, they're just bought out. That's the, how the quota system works. So they don't really worry about finances. But as a Canadian, I'm certainly worried about the dairy sector. I mean, if, if, the, if the idea is to, is to manage a declining sector, that's not good for us. 
Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for doing it so early this morning. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is the beginning of September, September the 1st today, and with everything else that the beginning of September brings us, it also brings us some new HSR service and some fare increases on certain fares that you may pay. I want to bring in Ward 8 Counselor John Paul Danko to join us this morning. John Paul, how are you this morning? How are you? Excellent. Thanks for uh, Thanks for doing this. So, what we're getting today, we're getting a small increase in some of the fares. Uh, we're also getting some new bus lines uh, that are running from downtown to the airport. That's one of the big ones and a few other ones, right? That's right. Um, you know, if you think about your household uh, bills lately, lately um, I'm sure you've, you've seen an increase in costs due to inflation. Um, I, know, I know all your listeners probably have as well, especially fuel. So the same as true for the HSR. They've seen costs increase recently. Um, so this fare increase is, is a very small one. It's uh, the same. The fare stays the same for the for the cash fare, and there's a five cent increase for Presto. So it's, it's relatively modest, but the fare box revenue is a very important source of income for HSR. And uh, as I said, they, they've been facing those inflationary pressures. So it is necessary in order to uh, maintain the existing fleet and, as you mentioned, expand service, which is very exciting. I mean, w- one of the things you said is really interesting because there are those, and you've heard this, I guarantee you've heard this in the city, there are those who have lobbied for we should have free HSR service to encourage public transit. That, you know, if we're facing inflation and facing now needing to raise fares even a little bit to try and pay for this, that sounds like it is more and more unlikely. Is that a fair statement? I think the talk about um, about fares, and, and I'm one of them that's, that's kind of floated that idea of uh, reducing or making fares free for HSR. It is free for students or children under 12 um, right now until April of next year. So that's a trial program that the HSR has started in order to try to encourage ridership. And if you think about it, it's kind of like the Apple phone model where you, you get uh, students on board early and then they stay riders for life. Um, so there, there are some considerations around uh, the fare price, but like I said, the, the fare revenue is a very important uh, part of the HSR's uh, revenue model, um, along with uh, levy taxes. And if we look forward to the future, this is part of the 10-year transit master plan. The city of Hamilton is scheduled to grow by more than 250,000 people in the next uh, 30 years. And the simple fact is that we cannot fit that many cars on the road. We we need a modal shift to transit, and we can't do that unless we improve the service. And uh, one of the, the focuses for that for me as the, you know, the Ward 8 counselor on the mountain is improving service on the A-Line transit corridor and getting that corridor ready for rapid transit. I think a lot of people will agree with that. I think a lot of people also will say, okay, so they added the city with this one, added 14 new buses with this new, as of today, 14 new buses, 43 hires and 49,000 new service hours. And I don't think that any of those go into Ancaster, Dundas, Glanbrook or Flamborough. And those are areas that have been of concern in the past. So where, why, why was the area that was targeted, targeted, not some of these other areas? I think we're looking at areas that have the biggest potential for increases in ridership. Um, now that we've settled LRT, we're starting construction right now um, on the B-Line corridor. 
which takes care of ridership, uh, you know, from east to west, our focus is now shift to the next biggest corridor in the city, which is the airport to the waterfront. Um, and again, just thinking from the mountain perspective, we've seen tremendous growth at the airport at Amazon and uh, CargoJet and different facilities there. There's so many jobs there, and we need to you know, be able to service that area with reliable uh, transit that is um, frequent and, uh, and user-friendly. And again, I think a lot of people will agree, and I think they'll, uh, there are a bunch of people who will use that going to the airport and back. The concern, though, I think for people is, and you've been someone who has spoken on social media, I don't know if you've spoken about it publicly, but certainly on social media about area rating. And that's going to be an issue in this election about whether everyone in the city should be paying equal, because right now they don't. And yet I think this may be part of the concern that some people have, that is, even when the HSR is bumping up service, none of it comes to the suburbs, and yet the suburbs are going to, if area rating was cancelled, be asked to chip in more for HSR, and yet this is indicative that they're not going to get anything more for their money. What do you say to those people? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interesting that area rating is, is shaping up to be uh, an election issue. Um, I, I'd say that increased transit use benefits the entire city, no matter where you live. Uh, most uh, people in Hamilton actually work within the city of Hamilton. They don't commute to Toronto. They don't uh, work outside the city. The vast majority work and, and live in the city of Hamilton. Um, and as I said, as we move to the future with more and more cars on the road, we need a modal shift to transit um, in order to accommodate that growth. And that's going to affect you no matter where you live in the city of Hamilton. It's kind of like paying for schools, even if your children don't go to schools. There's a societal benefit to, um, to that service. Um, and the fact is, we cannot expand transit adequately to those uh, amalgamated suburbs unless we end area rating. Yeah, and look, that argument has certainly been made and made very passionately by some people. As I say, I just it was it was interesting to me today that with the expansion, I thought even to to make the case that we're interested in getting more people from the suburbs onto the HSR, I thought maybe some of this would have expanded to those areas, but but not. And I I I think that's going to make this a harder argument for the area rating because people are going to say, look, even when the chance was made to show you wanted us. Nothing was done to make it easier for us. I, I think it's going to be a tough argument now. I think that's a fair point. Uh, there has been expansions to those areas. Inc., uh, sorry, Water Down has seen a, a dedicated on-demand transit plan, very innovative, uh, to try to find ways to service those areas that are more efficient. Um, but again, the, the, the fact is that we are trying to make sure that we provide adequate service to the areas that have the, the highest ridership and to grow that future ridership. And again, in order to do that in those uh, amalgamated areas, uh, they have to be paid for by the people that live there. Right now, unfortunately, it's not. Hmm. Uh, Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko, always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. School photos. Um, we've all seen these. We see people post these on Facebook the day after or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. They take a cute picture of their kid in their uniform or their first day of school clothes holding a piece of paper or a, something that says, <clears throat> you know, Jenny grade one, whatever else. There are some people, including police, who are saying be a little bit cautious about these photos and what information you include. Why? 
Yeah, it's an exciting time for students, parents, families in Hamilton and uh, returning to school. Uh, these are milestones that should be celebrated and shared. However, we want to remember to keep the message simple. Um, whether the information that's displayed, uh, uh, there is children's names often included, the age, grade, school, sometimes a favorite activity, even their sport, and then sometimes specifically the teacher. We really want to reinforce the message of keeping it simple. Simply leave it as first day of school, last day of school. Um, that information is consistent with all cyber messaging that that we would ensue to our community. That would be keeping the details offline. Uh, these details could be used by a stranger to approach a child um, with the information to verify that. Uh, please be mindful of even cyber crimes. They could be yielding this information um, to hack uh, various accounts that you may have. So often there is photos displayed of crests or patches or even a beautiful photo in front of the school logo. Just really keep it simple. Again, this is a milestone. It, is, it does deserve to be celebrated, but just remembering that keep it simple uh, mm. message and leave the details offline. I, I guess, you know, I'd never actually thought of it until the last little while, and maybe this has been a warning before that I didn't see. My kids are past this point now, but it's it's... It's good advice, although, boy, is it ever sad that we have to think about this stuff. It would be so nice to think we could just take a picture of our kids with the information and not worry about this stuff. You know what, Scott? Like I said, this is an exciting time. Back to school is an exciting time for not just students, but the families, the parents, the teachers, everyone. And it is a milestone. And like I said, it does deserve to be celebrated. However, it is a concern in in society now, the cyber crimes the way they are, and the information that can be yielded. Another good tip is to always ensure that you are looking at your security settings, whatever social media platforms you may have at which you're posting, um, family photos or intimate photos of your loved ones. These settings often change and uh, with little to no notification by the platforms. So do a self-assessment on your social medias. If you do choose to have that and do choose to share that information, keep an eye out for all of those settings. Review your settings. You know, if it's not monthly, then, then even as frequent as possible because these settings do often change mm -hmm. without any notice. Do we know, and again, I mean, I'm catching you cold on this because I didn't ask you ahead of time to look this up, but do, do we know if this is simply out of an abundance of caution because logically this could be used by someone who doesn't have good motives? Or do we know if there are examples or cases of people who have done this, who have used this information to try and take advantage of a kid? So I can't speak specifically to an individual case. However, and specifically to back to school, or it yielded from, from these type of exposures. However, with the increase in fraud and working with the Anti-Fraud mm -hmm. Center, these are the key messages that our, our uh, community and our city of Hamilton needs to be aware of. So being cautious of these overall is uh, going to have a healthy online presence for you, your family, your loved ones. Crystal Ernst uh, from Hamilton Police Service. Very much appreciate the time today. Thank you for this. 
Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This weekend, this long weekend, it is time for pork and bones and sauce. It is rib fest in Burlington. And if you don't like ribs, well, I might suggest there's something wrong with you. But for those of you us who do, uh, as I say, this is this is the weekend. Canada's largest rib fest is on this weekend. Uh, Brent Pass and Jay Bridal are co-chairs. They join us now. Guys, thanks for doing this today. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, it, listen, it's, it's, uh, it is so good to uh, be back to ribs and ribs in public and ribs with other people and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is terrific. Yeah, it's, it's great. We're, we're so excited to be back. We haven't, we haven't been in the park at Spencer Smith park since 2019. So we had to pivot to drive throughs which were very successful for us. But as you know, it's not the same as being down in the park on Labor Day weekend for what's considered the biggest and best end of summer barbecue in the, in the area. No, uh, the bad news for this is that uh, car detailers around the region are going out of business because la- for the last few years with drive through ribs, the business for sauce drippings and stuff in cars was amazing for people to have to clean that stuff up. But now, you know, people can go back and eat on picnic tables and eat with their friends and eat outside. I mean, it's it's so much better to eat ribs out in the open air. Absolutely. We have the best backdrop, uh, we think, and we've been setting up all week. It's been amazing to have that lake just sitting there. Uh, I forgot what it was like to be out and enjoying outside again with people around. Jay, how many, how many, um, the, you guys go by rivers, right? How many rivers are you going to have this year? This year we, we have 15 rivers, uh, this okay. year. So yeah, it's a great selection. Yeah. Has it been difficult to get people to come back? Cause again, when things were a little off, I don't know that everybody necessarily wanted to take part because you know, who knows what kind of business you're going to get when, when you throw the doors open again, has everybody come roaring back or, or has it been difficult? I think uh, I, I think everybody would have been ready to come roaring back last September. Um, that's starting in the fall, winter as we as we uh, entered 2022. We started, you know, getting the uh, getting the emails and the texts and the phone calls from our rivers. Many many of whom have been with us since day one. Uh, you know, are we back in the park this year? What's the plan? We can't wait to be back. And then all signals for this weekend looks like we're going to have you know a record attendance year. They're very excited to be in. Judging by how how the summer's gone for most of these rib teams. Brent, you mentioned day one. When was day one? How many years has this been going now? Well, it started in 1996. Um, so technically, you know, if you want to, semantics, 25th anniversary would have been would have been last year. But this is our 25th. Uh, this okay. is our 25th year in Spencer Smith Park. So we're treating it as our 25th homecoming, really, to be back in the park. So uh, a couple of club members, John Thorpe and Dr. Bob Peeling, uh, you know, saw a rib fest down in Ohio in, in the mid-90s. And they went down and checked it out and thought, hey, this is something we can do here. And and so in 96, we did our first one. I think they made all of $700 that, that summer. And <laughs> over, the, over, over the 25 years, uh, this event has helped us raise over four and a half, close to $5 million that we've been Come on. back into the community and charities around the world. So it's really that much well, money from ribs? It's amazing. Well, over, over, over the years. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Not ribs, it's chick but it's ribs, it's chicken. There's a midway. We have vendors. We have other food options. There are food trucks. Uh, uh, you know, vegetarian options, vegan options. We have a little something for everybody. 
There mm-hmm. is um, now, and I guess everybody knows what a rib fest is wherever they are. It's not just that you can go buy food, as you say, all those other things. You do have contests as well for best ribs. Does anyone anymore do anything that's way out of the box and try something? Or have we sort of stumbled on the general concept of what everybody likes in ribs and we're going to stay within that folder pretty much? I, I definitely I definitely think that's the, the latter there. It, it's it's kind of, yeah, you don't want to get out and say, this isn't the C&E where you're looking for that, you never heard of the cronut <laughs> before, that kind of thing. No, it's it's clearly, they know what the winners are. It's ribs. Uh, you're going to have your blooming onion that people always, you know, come for as well. Uh, the pop, the lemonade. There are certain things that's what people want, uh, and and I think they've learned that over the years that nothing new or too new really really works for this. So guy. Jay, so Jay, you've been around. You've eaten some ribs in your day, I'm sure. Um, do you always then, when you go around, is it always the same rib that you find that you love the best, or each year do you find that there's a different one that is your new favorite? Do do, well, do taste well, stay the same for people? <laughs> It's a, it's a good question for me. I'm, I'm actually a vegetarian, so... Oh, uh, what is, <laughs> I do try the sauce. Wait a second. Wait yeah, a second. Hold on. We've got a vegetarian co-chairing rib fest. Uh, that, that is a... There's the news. There's the headline right there. Let's put a mark beside that. That's hilarious. Um, all right. So, well, let's switch over to Brent, perhaps. And Brent, are you a vegetarian, vegan, anything like that? No, no I'm not. Actually, you know, we uh, Jay did, did uh, get, uh, talk me into a salad yesterday for lunch, but I made sure there was some, ba- I made sure there was some bacon on the cob salad. So yeah, we're, all, rib sauce. we're all good. You've got, you got one of us that's excited about the ribs, but it's the ribs. It's the chicken. It's the pulled pork, uh, you know, uh, the cornbread. You're going to see me nibbling on cornbread. If you see me down there throughout the week, there's nothing nicer than, you know, soaking up the sauce with a nice piece of fresh cornbread. So uh, we, uh, we're, we're very, we're very excited about that. That we look forward to. I, I don't eat ribs all year because I know I get my fill this weekend. I, I must say that it's only um, eight twenty-seven or thereabouts in the morning, and we're not really near lunchtime yet, and we're certainly not near sort of a designated rib eating time of the day. I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now. Just talking to you guys, listening to this. <laughs> I am. Uh, I am pulled pork and all this. I, I'm ready to go, and I'm sure a lot of other people are saying, "Yeah, um, set me up." When we know where uh, Spencer Smith Park, right? That's where it's going to be again. Yeah, yeah. Spencer okay. Smith Park all, all weekend. We're there. To, we start tomorrow, September second. We go right through to Monday, Labor Day. So we're eleven to eleven Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then we're eleven to seven p.m. on Monday. Um, but re- entertainment lineup kicks off. We have two stages. We have the Gen Limousine East Main Stage, and uh, you know we have uh, bands going there all weekend. We have a West End stage closer to Spencer's on the water down there. So uh, a couple of beverage tents going. We have a nice Caesar Garden, which is an addition this year. So there's, mm, there's yeah. plenty of place for people to come and sit and enjoy music or just enjoy the lakefront. We have a VIP area um, with a nice window to the lake. So we're a little something for everybody to enjoy their ribs or whatever else they might like to have. And, uh, and uh, take a look at the bands, or take a look at the water. Or, you know, those are that is uh, the smoke. That, that, that's fantastic. And, and Jay, congratulations to you for getting out of your comfort zone then and doing ribs as a, as a vegetarian. <laughs> you're you're going to have to do, like create a new like veggie fest and have Brent come and work in, as a co-chair on that one as well down the road. Broaden the horizons, do it all, uh, guys. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, people will go down if you like ribs and you've been missing being out with people and eating them out in the park. In the park, uh, there you go. Rib fest all weekend, all right up until Monday at Spencer Smith Park, guys. Thank you for this.
Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I think everyone in this city understands that uh, things are tight for a lot of people. Food is getting more and more expensive. That's for everyone. And for those who are facing tough times, um, donations to food banks, help from food banks is a big deal. This weekend, this Saturday, is the annual Pure Later Tackle Hunger Food Drive. It's part of the Labor Day weekend, Labor Day Classic. And one of the people who's going to be helping out with that is Hamilton Ticat, number 98 defensive tackle, Dylan Wynn. Dylan, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for doing this. This is, uh, you know, you're a, you're a guy who is a, I don't want to say a newcomer to Hamilton, but you're, you know, you're a guy who's obviously jumped into the community and are getting involved with this. Absolutely. But it always feels like home. <laughs> well, why do this? I mean, there's lots of things that you could be involved in and you are involved in a bunch of things, but why this? Because food is something that everyone needs. It's a human necessity, you know, and um, like you said, there's never been a greater need right now than uh, food prices are going up. People are, you know, scraping by and we just need to come together as a community to, you know, make sure that our brothers and sisters are well taken care of. Have you done this before? Have you been involved in this one before? Not this specific one, but uh, growing up, I spent a lot of time, you know, food resources, soup kitchens, uh, food collection drives, stuff like that. And it's always, you know, kind of been close to me, um, just, you know, helping those who might need a little extra hand here and there. When you say that, you're not talking about you yourself needing it. You were helping to raise that down back home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, growing up, my mom made sure that was a big point for us is, you know, if you can give back, give back. And, you know, it's not necessarily if you don't have the funds to give back and you can't buy food, you know, donate your time, donate, you know, your energy, you know, um, everybody, it doesn't cost you anything to help out. And uh, in, in what we're doing here for the Labor Day um, is amazing, especially for our community. And it, it doesn't take much to, you know, bring a can in with you or bring two and um, it makes the world of difference to somebody who's, you know, needs that extra hand. Absolutely. And look, great for your mom to teach you those lessons. And I think most moms probably teach those lessons, but how long did it take you either as a college athlete or even as a pro athlete to kind of really grasp the power you have to use that platform and help in this kind of way? Cause not everybody, I mean, everyone can say, I'm going to help. Not everyone has the, the platform, the stage that you do. Yeah. Um, it's really just recently kind of dawned on me. I've always, I've always been super focused on my job and, you know, just what I can do to be better on the field. And um, I'll be honest, after I had a couple kids this last couple years, um, I've had my two daughters and it's kind of really opened my eyes to perspective. And, you know, it's not just football. It's, you got to be able to give back and there's no better platform than I have now. You know, one day is going to come up where people don't really want my signature anymore or buying my jerseys, you know, <laughs> never happened, never happened. Oh, you? but it's, it's, it's the life we live and it's, it is football. And, you know, um, I always talk about there's a set amount of snaps, you know, our job, our sport is different than any other sport because I can't play a pickup soccer game or I can't pick up, play a pickup baseball. You know what I mean? In the football world, right. I can't just casually strap up pads. So when I'm done, I'm done. Um, and it's just capitalizing on the, blessings that I've been given and the platform that I'm given to, you know, give back and, you know, try to show the young bucks the way and the right way to doing things. Who was the athlete? It, maybe not even an athlete. Who was the the person, the celebrity, whatever, that when Dylan Wynn was eight, nine, 10, 12, 13 years old, 
that if he had seen saying do this, you might have listened to? To be honest, it was uh, it was the guys that went to my high school before I went to my high school. Dale really? South. Yeah, I went to Dale South High School. Um, it's a big school in uh, in the Bay Area, and it's a LaSallean school. And as a LaSallean school, um, they're super into giving back, especially like um, the more the the communities that could use in a little extra hand. And uh, that was we're men of, you know, service is our big thing. And um, just being able to serve and give back. And uh, if, if you just use your blessings for you, then, you know, that's squandering it. That's, mm. that's a big opportunity missed. Um, we're supposed to lift the people around us, the communities around us, the families around us. And, that's, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's impressive. That's really, that's not what I expected the answer to be, but that's really <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So you are, we only have a few seconds left here. Uh, I think someone said at the beginning that you were going to guarantee unquestionably guarantee a tie cat win if you if everyone brings a can of soup or whatever down to the pure later if everyone brings one it's a guaranteed win day i don't see how we could lose um <laughs> just if everyone's on everyone's on the same page you know the same energy the same focus the same drive you know it's for sure going to come out of dub i i just a suggestion we've all anyone who watches We've seen the look on your face when you're on the field. Uh, even even your your tie cat mugshot, not mugshot, but your picture on the on the on the website. You've got that look of a dad sitting at the end of the table. Doesn't have to say anything. Just gives you that look, and you know you'd better listen. That face. Just stare at people as they come into the stadium. They'll bring food. Yeah, yeah. Well, we want to we want to <laughs> you know use the carrot, not the stick. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Leave that for the people on the field. Uh, Dylan Wynn really appreciate this. The pure later food again, Saturday uh, at uh, Hamilton food share three, 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 nine Barton street, Stony Creek uh, is where you can do that. And also bring it down, I guess, to the game on, uh, on Monday as well for food share. Uh, Dylan, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And remember bring a can if you can appreciate y'all. Thanks for listening to the good morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from five 30 to nine on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.